Hello listeners, welcome to Explore FI Canada, where we sit at the round table with Canadians and share their thoughts, ideas and personal journeys to financial independence. Thanks to Matt McKeever for sponsoring Explore FI Canada. Matt is a Canadian investor, CPA, entrepreneur and real estate expert who achieved fire at age 31. Do us a favor and check out his YouTube channel by searching Matt McKeever or using the link in our show notes. Good afternoon, my friend Chrissy. Hello, Money Mechanic. How is it going? It's going good. Here we are back recording again, which is always exciting. Explorify Canada. And today we've got another guest. We've had quite the parade of guests so far this season, haven't we? Yes. 2021 has been a good year. It's And we're not slowing down anytime soon. And I am holding this. The listeners can't see what I'm holding, but you can. I'm holding a book that has a big red X through the three in 35. And you know why that is? Because this book is a Canadian guide to early retirement, and it's five years to freedom instead of the traditional 35 years to freedom. And we have the author with us today. It's Jean... How do you pronounce your last name? Rajan Venn? Just yeah. Venn? Venn. Venn. So this book just came out uh, last year, I believe, because you do reference some talking about the pandemic in it. Yeah, I just released it the second week of January. So it's just uh, just, a, just over a month now. Yeah, we really appreciate you sending us a copy to read and review. And of course, having you on the show joining us today. And we also have a copy of this to give away to you, the listener, today. So at the end of the episode, we'll let you know how you can qualify for that and get your hands on a brand new book for the Canadian, specifically Canadian. This is yes. the important part, Chrissy. Isn't this the important part? The specifically Canadian guide. Well, that's what we're here for, right? We're here for <laughs> the Canadian. Exists. Yeah. Exactly. Explore FI Canada. So uh, without further ado, welcome to the show, Rajan. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it's great to have you here. Thanks, guys, and uh, great intro- introduction. Um, I loved how you presented it. With the visualization of the three crossed out. It's not 35 years to freedom. It's just five years to freedom. Yes, it's a good, a good visual description. So Perfect. Uh, we have both read your book, and we both know your whole fire story now. But can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and introduce your story? Sure. But don't spoil the book. We don't want any spoilers here, Chrissy. Yes. No, no. <laughs> yeah, because we want to dig in when, once you're done introducing yourself. <laughs> yeah, sure. The long story short, I'm, I retired at uh, 29. My wife and I were in were living in Ottawa, Canada, and we uh, we had successful careers. We were ambitious and sort of climbing the corporate ladders, and we uh, sort of didn't really think twice about sort of. Our, the trajectory of our lives, you know, we were just going to keep going that route. And uh, then we started having kids like seven years ago. And well, when we had our first child, things sort of, you know, we sort of really reflected on what we valued in life. And right around the same time, we discovered Mr. Money Mustache. So, you know, I'm a true original Mr. Money Mustache follower. I mean, I've followed up so many other blogs and, and, and podcasts such as this one since then. But Really got into Mr. Money Mustache right off the bat and read a story of his in the Golden Mail and was really inspired by the idea and just really thought it was kind of unbelievable at first, but read everything that he had to say and then convinced my wife to do the same and we sort of got into the same wavelength on that and started designing a plan to retire early. And it really, after that point, once we got started, it really only took us three years three and a half years, but I summarized the book as five years because I say that, you know, before that we, we had started getting a lot more financially, I guess, savvy. We've always been pretty good financially, but obviously, you know, when you start thinking about uh, having kids and you put your life together, you, you start making more or different decisions. So that's why I say it's five years, but three and a half years after that, we uh, quit our jobs and um, have been uh, sort of retired ever since and we just uh, call ourselves full-time parents now um, and we I mean don't want to give too many details in the book but we essentially took an approach of reducing our expenses to essentially $30,000 a year and we live off of the income of uh, a single rental property at this point which generates uh, easily 30000 in cash flow it's a, it's a fourplex and um, what allowed us to do this is a lot of factors. You know, we, we, we did some geo arbitrage. We, um, 
we benefited from some very good uh, real estate decisions over the last few years. Um, but I guess those are just all topics we'll uh, discuss today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and an uh, amazing part of the story that you maybe you didn't mention was how young you were when you retired. This was three years ago. And I believe in your book, you said you're 28 and 29. Is that correct? Yes, I, I was 29 and my wife was 28. Yeah, yeah that's, that's impressive. That is impressive. I left Canada at 29 and I was happy, really happy to be at zero net worth, not even close to thinking about retirement <laughs> at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so congrats on that. And yeah. I like the way you add in there that you, uh, you're fire, but you are now full-time parents, which I don't have children, but I know that it's a full-time job. <laughs> Let's just have a look at that. It, was that a big part of your why? Is that something that was really meaningful for you when you started, when you made the decision, when you started having kids? Did that really kick it into high gear for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's sort of, that's probably the why for a lot of people because, you know, you you see yourself in a different light when, I guess, when, for me, I just saw myself as a career person. I was going to be, you know, CEO or president or, you know, obviously, probably ne- never those things, but, you know, that's what you dream of, you know, becoming those things in, in, in the corporate world. And then I guess when we had our first child and it was just like, well, now I'm a parent. Um, that seems more important than being a CEO or being a president. So, so then it's like, um, yeah, how can we shift our attention, you know, 95% of our attention, which was in work and try to shift that towards being a parent. And the best way to do that would be to just stop working. Right. Because otherwise, you know, if you're ambitious and you're in a career, it's hard to, to tone that down. You know, it's, uh, it takes up a lot of your time, a lot of your emotions and stuff. So, um, definitely, yeah, that was the why, is the children. And, you know, we liked being a parent, like, you know, we liked being a parent, being with our kids, and didn't like the idea of sending them to daycare and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. that's definitely the, the why in the equation. And we, they got the desire got stronger as, you know, we had our second child, and um, now we have three. So, but you're right, the, when I say full time parent, I often joke about that because I'll get the, I'll get people ask me sometimes, you know, what do I do with my time or what, what do I do for a living? And I, I talk a lot about that in the book. And so one of the things that you mentioned to us was an article that you read, and I went and read it today too, and it was called The Tail End, and it comes from a blog named Wait But Why. And the cool part about this is that it kind of gives you a really sort of graphic visualization of how much time you have left. Just explain to us how that captured you and, and why it kind of added and made a difference to your why, Rajan. Uh, sure. Um, first, that that blog is uh, one of my favorite blogs. So Tim Urban's uh, Wait But Why blog uh, always been one of my favorites and just a very, if anybody's never checked it out, just does very quirky articles about with a lot of visualizations to really put things in perspective. But this particular one was about uh, the tail end, and he just put things in how many times he's done something and how many times he has left to do them. So the, the examples of like how many Super Bowls he's got to watch in his life and how many does he have left and how many pizzas he's probably eaten in his life and how many pizzas he'll probably eat. And then if you visualize those numbers, um, they sound trivial, but then they really do put things in perspective. But the part of, his, of this article that I really liked, and I, I referenced it in the book, which inspired me to retire, was the, the section where he referenced how much time he spent with his parents throughout his life and how much time he would have left to spend with them. And the visualization was very striking because he, he sort of analyzed that, you know, you, when you're a child up until, say, your 18th birthday, when you go off to college or university, you spend almost all your days with your parents. Well, maybe not your entire day, but you see your parents every day. So maybe 95 to 99% of the days. So he summed up how many days that would add up. And then he figured once he left for college or university until his parents died, you know, and he gave them a generous life expectancy till 90. And um, based on that, he, and, he, and he figured, you know, he, he had moved away for college university and so did I, and, well, after college or university and for careers. And uh, based on that, and it's a, it's a scenario that a lot, a lot of people are in, you don't see your parents as much. You, you probably see them maybe 10 times a year, maybe less. So he did that analysis based on, let's say, 10 days per year from your 18th birthday to your 60th birthday versus, you know, 300 and some days per year from your first birthday to your 18th birthday. And he calculated that you, had used, you probably have used up about 95% of your days with your parents by the time you leave for college or university which is very scary to think that you only have 5% mm-hmm. left. 
and in my in the book, I sort of take that analogy and I reflect on it from you know he taught he called it in person parent time, and I like to talk about in person child time, or uh, so essentially reverse the equation with our children. My young my oldest son is seven, you know I've already used up maybe you know if we were to follow that same trajectory, I may have already used forty um, percent of my in person child time with him. So I better make uh, I better make the the rest of it very uh, very good you know moments to spend with him um, because when he turns eighteen who knows you know he may move away or something so yeah I hope that's a that's a good summary of, of that concept yeah I I read this post a few years ago and I was just as affected as you were especially when you see the graphics and I'll I'll link to this in the show notes but when you see what he created the graphic he created for the in person parent time. You have to scroll and scroll and scroll <laughs> to get to the bottom of because there's so many like he puts all these little icons that represent his in-person parent time in this little chart. And it's crazy when you see how that tiny little bit, which he calls the tail end, because it's just, just that last little bit where it's, that's the remaining years he has left with his parents. And it almost brings a tear to your eye when you see that and you think about it. Yeah, for sure. And, and you could apply it to you know, your, your children, but also to your close friends mm-hmm. and, your, and your siblings. And yeah. you your close friends, you spend so much time with them growing up, but then once you get into career life, you, you know, you only see them five times a year, if that, sometimes mm-hmm. once every five years. So, yeah. Definitely striking in the past year too. A lot of us haven't seen our close friends and yeah. distance family for a long time. And, you know, that really hits home when you're like, geez, if there's only X amount of times left, I want to maximize them and, and enjoy it while I can, right? So now what do you think was the number one thing that helped you and your wife retire early? Um, well, for, for us, it was when we, you know, did our, our we were always big on doing, tr- tracking our expenses. And we, we've always tracked our expenses, probably not as closely as we did after we learned about Mr. Money Mustache and trying to put together our plan to retirement. But when we tracked our expenses and then sort of projected what a retirement lifestyle would look like, that was the biggest tool for us because that was what made it, you know, possible. We, we we couldn't really conceive, you know, how much money we would, we would need to actually retire. We knew how much we spent back then, which in my book I reported was around $85,000. But we didn't know, you know, that's not reflective of what we would need to actually quit our jobs. So once we actually projected based on our current expenses and what, you know, retirement lifestyle could look like without a mortgage, without a car payment and without daycare, we, we were able to, just with those three expenses, we were able to bring down our expenses by over 50000 And right there, we were already in the close $30,000 range. Um, so, yeah, it was essentially, I guess that was our biggest tool, our biggest eye-opener was just, you know, our expenses, just, just exploring our expenses. Yeah, and that's what I really focus on in the fire journey, especially in the beginning, is that that tracking that you don't like you you say in your book that you don't budget and neither do I but it's the tracking part that really makes a huge difference don't let Tanya hear that because she just <laughs> loves you need a budget like, loves, <laughs> I loves, do loves too it. <laughs> it's called you need a budget but I use it just for tracking I don't I don't actually budget with it I've never used it and I probably should just to be more familiar with it but I was thinking about the angle you mentioned how you cut down your expenses from 85k to 30k a big part of that as we all know the most expensive part for all of us probably is housing and and what did you do in that area that really made a big difference the you know we've heard about geo arbitrage before but we haven't talked to a lot of people that have actually successfully executed it and i think that's a real key part here to your story yeah so we uh, my wife and i are both from northern ontario we're both from small towns about uh five hours drive from where we were living, which was in Ottawa, which we had moved there after university to pursue careers. And uh, in Ottawa, we had a, a nice house in the suburbs, um, a four-bedroom, uh, double garage, um, pretty big yard for this, for that, you know, for, for this city. Essentially maxed what we could get on a mortgage, which is probably not always the smartest thing to do. But I mean, in our case, it, it ended up working out because we, in the process, when we did get get to the point where we wanted to retire early and and wanted to downsize our life and and reduce our expenses, we had a pretty good financial investment in the equity in our home. So this house, which you know we had put twenty percent down payment on because we, we didn't want to pay uh, CMHC uh, fees on, so we had a lot of equity there, and 
you know, the housing market was doing really well, which you guys, we all know has been doing well for the last, you know, five to 10 years. So we were able to, when it came time to execute our plan to, to retire, we were able to sell this property and realize a, a very big profit, which allowed us to move to Northern Ontario, where we were from, and buy a property essentially mortgage-free. So, you know, our house was worth 550000 in Ottawa, which at the time I, I think was was a lot. This was 2017 when we ended up selling the property. I thought that was a lot. Now now it's probably even more. And, and where you guys are in Vancouver, it's probably just nothing. But uh, the, that allowed us to have a profit of almost 200000 on that property. And in a lot of communities in Canada, and I talk about that in the book, and especially in northern Ontario, you can get a property, a house with a, with a decent property for around that price, you know, without even taking a mortgage, just 200000 and you got property. So that's what we did. And we, we found a community that has a, a Francophone uh, population because our, our children are, well, we come from Francophone families and we wanted our children to go to a French uh, schools. And we found a, a community that had invent properties we could invest in from a real estate standpoint and communities where we had uh, relatives already. So we, uh, yeah, so we've, we found the option and we've, We've liked it ever since. We, we haven't. Uh, the part of our our move was like, oh, are we going to miss a lot of the things in Ottawa, you know, in the big bigger cities? But we haven't really missed that s- since. You know, we get access to libraries, um, same amount of books. We get access to hockey arenas and the local swimming pool, and everything is within biking distance. So, yeah, that's our, our story of uh, geo arbitrage. So, can you tell me the timeline? Did you? Stop working, and then you sold and moved over to is it Sturgeon Falls, which is where you moved to from Ottawa? Yeah, so we our plan was to retire in 2018, um, but we essentially put our house for sale in 2017 because we we you know we did the conservative thing, same thinking we're going to give ourselves plenty of time in case it takes us a while, and mm-hmm. you know we, we didn't realize that. Houses don't take a long time to sell in, in big markets, and uh, we sold right away. So then we ended up moving into, we rented a condo in the city okay. um, and lived, lived out our final year sort of just renting so that we were ready to, because we didn't know exactly when we, you know, when we would be ready. Like we, we were sort of mm-hmm. putting our, the final pieces together and making sure we had enough of financial cushion. And, and then we were putting some pieces together in the home, home we wanted to, to purchase in, in the small town. So we, we did the rental route and then we had the flexibility to sort of make a call two months in advance and say, okay, now, you know, we're, and, and call our bosses and say, you know, we're, we're leaving in two months and then give our landlord notice. And so, yeah, that's, that's what we did. I, that's a, I, I didn't talk about too much about that in the book, but that's a great recommendation for anybody who's approaching uh, financial independence is going the rental route. You, you get a lot of more flexibility on when you actually want to sort of uh, mm-hmm. pull the trigger on the, on the plan. Yeah, and so so then you moved. Uh, you you reached Phi, and then you uh, gave your notice, I guess, and then you moved after that. Uh, tell us what you gained in the geo arbitrage of moving from a bigger city in Ottawa to a smaller town financially. Yeah, like what exactly did how exactly did the geo arbitrage benefit you and your path to fire? Well, it, it just in the sense that we can instead of having a property with. Uh, 20% equity. Now we have a property with 100% equity, so we don't have a mortgage payment. And then also our property taxes went down. We were paying $5,000 a year for property taxes, and now we pay, I think it was 1600 last year for our property taxes. So, um, you know, those property taxes essentially give us the same level of services as we in, in the bigger city. We actually have more land now than we did before. Um, we get garbage pickup once a week. We get a library services. We get uh, recycling. So, it's uh yeah that's that's the that's that's a big one too is property taxes mm-hmm. and what about things like groceries um car insurance or things like that also cheaper um car insurances didn't really change um the way the okay. ontario or car insurance work uh, it, it, i mean it could change from one town to the next but a lot of times it doesn't groceries we have two of the major chains in this in our small community which and they're both within biking distance so we still get to shop around we, you know, we still use Amazon once in a while. We have access to the big centers. Like we're, we're surrounded by Sudbury, which is um, a pretty big uh, metropolitan. It's about an hour from, from us. And then we have North Bay, which is a half hour from, from, from us on the other side. 
and both these towns have all the big box stores and Sudbury has a Costco and stuff. We don't typically shop at those places anymore, mostly just because we just, we don't see, we really don't like using the car. So it takes, a, it would take a lot for us to have to take the car out for, for a 60 minute drive. You know. You're a true mustachian. <laughs> yeah, I do the, uh, I, I, I now analyze the kilometers and, and you know, I did my own spreadsheet where my kilometers cost me 40 cents per kilometer when I can count, you know, wear and tear gas and, and wow. depreciation. So every time we have to, you know, we need something in the big town, which is, like I said, 60 minutes away, approximately 100 kilometers, 200 kilometers round trip. And then I do the backwards math at 40 cents. And I say, is, are we saving $40 here? If not, then <laughs> it's not, it's not worth it. So. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Well, it, it takes Chrissy an hour just to get across Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's, it's two hours of frustration, not 200 Gosh, kilometers, but yeah. it's worth it. It's, yeah. There's a money value to that time, isn't <laughs> there? Sure. I, I find it really interesting with this geo-arbitrage because it's super powerful, but I think you've got to spend some time thinking about it beforehand, right? Like if this is something that you're entertaining as one of the finished parts of your fire journey. Like I know for a long time, my wife was absolutely, there was no way we were moving back to a small town that she had worked so hard to leave when she was 18. But it's super powerful, right? To be able to geo arbitrage and take some money out of the big city. But it really comes down to Chrissy, you've been very staunch that you are not leaving Vancouver because you love it and you love having your family around you. So mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get out like for, people that are listening and people that are on their FI journey, this may be a super powerful strategy or it may be something that's totally off the table, but it's worth thinking about. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, it's different if, you know, like, like Chrissy, she lives in Vancouver, but her family's in Vancouver. For us, our family was in the small town. We, we, we moved away and said, there's no way we're coming back to the small town. We're, we're going to the big city. We're going to live our lives. Yeah. Mom and dad were yeah. gone. But then, and a lot of your listeners will reflect, you know, the, once you, you grow a little older, then, you, you know, you do want to get closer to your parents. <laughs> and, and especially if you start having children and then you do want those babysitters mm-hmm. around. So <laughs> you, you definitely want, you know, and, and that's been a huge help for us is being closer to our, you know, with our parents is, you know, the help that we get from, from the three children, even though we're retired now and we have, you know, we don't really need childcare in the traditional sense. I mean, Having a night out or a weekend away is huge when you know, we have parents nearby. Yeah, you still need breaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So with all that money that you saved on your housing and you bought your own house, was it part of your plan all along to have rental real estate? Yeah, that was, we had always planned to buy real estate, like in our investment journey, Um and um, we, but we didn't know where we were going to invest in real estate. It was sort of the next thing to do when we, before we had discovered the concept of you know, extreme early retirement. But then we, we wanted to put together a plan that would you know, get us to retirement fast enough. So we started buying properties in a small town, this small town that we ended up settling in, because we were able to find real estate deals for very cheap. Like our first property, we only paid 200000 and it was a fourplex. Um, so we were able to, you know, 40, we only need a $40,000 down payment to buy four, you know, rental units. And that's what really accelerated our plans. You know, and we did that with another property afterwards. And um, eventually with just two properties and seven units and being able to create you know, efficiencies. And we ended up you know, doing a lot of renovations to increase the value, and increase the rents. And, and, and then the cash flow got to 30000 very quickly. It even surpassed 30000 and that was mostly because the mortgage payments were, were so cheap. You know, being able to buy properties for that price, you know, and with the, the low interest rates, we were we were getting mortgage a mortgage monthly payment of six hundred dollars a month. Wow! Yeah, yeah. But we Vancouverites are salivating hearing these numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, nothing even close to that here. I, I did get lucky. Like I, we did get lucky in the sense that this town that we're in has seen real estate prices go up as well. So we. And we bought the, we started buying rental properties maybe about five years ago now, well, no, four years ago. And we, we bought at a pretty low price. And today the prices are, aren't that, that low, but still much, much lower than you would see in big mm-hmm. cities. And you're able to get margins a lot. Yeah. Higher. And the, the other 
thing that you have going for you is that the rents are high and high enough to give you a good percentage back, whereas you cannot find that very easily anywhere, really. It, you really have to look hard to find those kinds of deals where you're getting enough rent to cover all the expenses. Yeah, for sure. That's that's the thing that surprised me as well, is that when I started looking at, I, it, it's not just you know this town that I'm in, but a lot of um, smaller mm -hmm. communities, the rents are, are not the same as, as Toronto or, or Vancouver or Ottawa, but they're not like drastically lower. Like you would think that, you know, if a house is uh, a, a property in Toronto is a million and the rent is 10,000, this is a, not an accurate example, but you would think the property that's a hundred thousand would be renting for only a thousand, but that's not the case. Like it's, it's, it's not the same ratios. So you get uh, the, the only, you know, you, you may not get as many, renters but for us that hasn't been a problem there's still been a very high demand for rental properties and we've never faced a vacancy even in a small town um mm -hmm. the benefit is that in a small town you know you, it's easier to to know your tenants to you know you don't have to you don't have to um, be on the lookout for you know professional uh, tenant of some sort like in, in where you have to if you're renting a property like as a landlord in a big city you would typically go the you know criminal background check, credit check, mm -hmm. uh, three references, mm -hmm. stuff like that. And in a small town, you know, you don't really have to do those things. I mean, you could, but it's, you know, you most of the time you, you start talking and you, you tend to know somebody in common. So Yeah. Okay. And I found something charming in your book, how you mentioned the second property that you purchased was kind of run down and it was known in the town you know, <laughs> for being a certain building. That house. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's like, you don't get that in big cities as much where, yeah. you know, there's this one building that's really recognized. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, funny. <laughs> I want to dissect your cash flow just a little bit. I don't want to go into a big deep dive on real estate here because when I explore some more of your story, but I just want to dissect this because I know some people are listening and probably going, how does he get 30 grand in cash flow from mm -hmm. a rental? So without going deep, deep into the numbers, in my mind, you must like, okay, let's just start with saying that there's three, maybe four ways to make money in real estate, right? It's your cash flow, it's your mortgage pay down, it's appreciation, and if you force appreciation by doing renovations, right? So you did a lot of renovations and upgrades to improve the properties, but it sounds to me like you are not carrying a large mortgage on that property. And by not carrying a large mortgage on it, you extract a lot more cash flow from it. Am I correct in that assumption? Yeah, exactly. I mean, for the way we we, we first set up our retirement um Cash flow. We had two rental properties. Both of them had a mortgage. Uh, if I give the example of a, the fourplex, that one had, had a, a mortgage payment of seven hundred and fifty dollars a month. Maybe it was seven sixty. It was just around there. And the rents after we were done. The, so the renovations at the beginning when we purchased it, the rents were about three thousand dollars a month. After the renovations, we had brought that up at four thousand dollars a month. So. Just right there, you know, you look at four thousand dollars rents. The rent payment, the mortgage is only seven fifty. You're left with uh, three thousand two hundred fifty. So then we do get utility expenses and the property taxes and a bit of maintenance. Um, but the maintenance cost goes down drastically if you if you've done like us and we've essentially renovated every part of the building in the last few years. So now the maintenance costs are pretty low. So you know, we we were already at twenty four thousand dollars, essentially two thousand dollars a month cash flow just on that one property. So that would bring us, we were at almost $24,000 just with one property. And then we ended up buying another property and, and doing a similar thing. And since, you know, we retired, we actually saw our numbers for the first couple of years and realized that we, we really only needed the cash flow of one property if we just took the equity of one property and applied it to the other property. And that's what we did this last year, especially because the housing prices were going up and we got to benefit from a nice profit on, on one of these properties we we did that and took the equity paid off the other mortgage and now we only have one property but now it's mortgage free so the cash flow goes up even higher yeah and that doesn't even include you know the appreciation on the property itself yeah i think it's just interesting to note there for listeners is that you can generate a lot more cash flow like christy we've talked about it before right and it's like the one percent rule well you can't get any cash flowing real estate mm -hmm. you know but apparently you can if you go outside the big centers, which we know in Canada, but that's difficult for everybody. And also to note that if you crush that rental mortgage, then you extract all the cash flow from it. 
So it's I'm just interested is that you've chosen that path because a lot of real estate investors choose to keep a high mortgage on their mm-hmm. rentals uh, for tax deductions and pay it down. But this is the interesting part about the fire story is that you don't want you don't have a huge income to deduct all the taxes from. So it's like we just want this to cash flow, and it's yeah. pretty cool how Rajan set that up and structured. That's a good point. I just a final note because on the on the interest that, that was one of the things that we debated. We had this extra cash from selling the property, and you're right. Do we we pay it off the mortgage because we're getting some interest payments, which are tax deductible. Um, but you're right; we don't really have a significant income, so really we're not paying that much taxes either. So I prefer the the risk adverse side of me prefers the let's just wipe out the mortgage. Who cares about the interest payments and the you know the, the tax advantage there because it's it's very little. Yeah, so that's all I wanted to add. Chrissy, let's take a quick break and hear from this episode sponsor. Hey, Money Mechanic, you use Passive, right? How do you like it? It's great. It's like my own personalized robo-advisor. I set it up one time, then Passive helps keep my portfolio balanced by securely connecting to Questrade. Wow, sounds like Passive saves you a lot of time. Yeah, no more spreadsheets. And Passive even has one-click purchasing, which makes life so much easier. That sounds amazing. I also heard that Passive added a new goal feature to help DIY investors reach their investment targets. That's right. The goal feature is built right in and helps you stay on track with your investments. Chrissy, did you know that Passive is free for Questrade clients? Free is good, especially when it normally costs $99. How can our listeners get in on this offer? Just go to Passive.com forward slash EFIC. That's Passive with no E dot com forward slash E-F-I-C. Okay, we are back and we're going to continue our conversation with Rajon and uh, we're going to uh, shift gears a little here and we're going to leave the real estate now because I think we covered that quite thoroughly and and if people want more info, they can read your book and get all the details. Well, and we also forgot that they can reach out because Rajon does mm-hmm. also have a blog in Canada. It's mindfulfamily.ca. So if you got more questions about the real estate and all that side of things, I'm sure Rajan would be happy to respond yeah, to our sure. listeners. So what's next? So next we want to talk about the kids stuff because it's a it's a huge myth that uh, people with kids can't reach fire or can't reach it as easily or have to delay it till they're much older, but you're living proof that that's not true. And you ha- actually have two different tactics that you share in your book that I think are really useful to share with our audience for people who are parents or maybe no parents and can share this info with them. So the first one we'll start with is the CCB, the Canada Child Benefit. Can you go into detail with that and how it's actually quite a great source of income for families who have reached fire? Uh, sure. So the CCB was a program developed to um, to give money to, to parents to help offset the cost of raising children. And um, the beauty of it is it's a tax repayment and you know anybody can calculate what they are entitled to by going to the federal government's website. And if you just Google CCB calculator and then you input your details, how old your children, you um, your level of income, you could actually figure out what you're entitled to now or based on you know scenarios in the future if you went down to one income or part-time or eventually you know stopped working. But one thing I do stress in the book is you know not to ever rely on these programs as a, a tool to, to, to reach retirement. It should, it should in my opinion it's, it's a great tool to offset the, the potential cost of that children will increase in your retirement but at the same time, like they could change, they could be, they, they they could become less generous tomorrow. They could be eliminated entirely by a, by a new government. So the way I see it is is sort of like a bonus, but it's definitely something to to take into account when you're when you're sort of projecting what you need to retire and uh, how much money it's going to cost you to with your kids and you know if your kids develop you know one thing we thought of is you know before we get into retirement we have a certain expense, but then one of our child wants to go in like a competitive sport that costs a lot of money um well these the ccb can be very helpful in that regard and you know i talk i talk a lot about it in the book but some of the numbers like if you just brought your family income down to like under fifty thousand, and you had two children you'd be eligible for over ten thousand dollars in benefits through these programs and these would be tax-free payments so it, would, it could increase your, your income by up to twenty percent 
And it gets even more generous if you go down to 40,000 or 30,000 where you can start benefiting from six, six to 7,000 per child uh, per year in tax repayments. So yeah, I just, I encourage anybody who's thinking about, you know, retiring early or uh, with kids or think of retiring early, but kids may play a part in it in the future. We'll use these tools to sort to see what you know what how things will change from a from a revenue standpoint because I although I, I say this a lot kids kids aren't cheap um, but they they don't really in my opinion substantially you know increase your burden financially if you're able to already like if you're already able to live a pretty frugal lifestyle or mustachian lifestyle then the CCB can essentially offset the cost of the children if you're already in that mindset. Yeah, and you say in your book that parenting is a job that compensates <laughs> exactly, right? yeah. and it's a nice way to get compensated for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure, and especially you know, you, you, we are it is a it is a job, and, and I mean it's not one we expect to get paid for, but it is it is going to produce you know hopefully, and I, I really hope pretty encouraged by what I'm seeing so far, but I'll be producing some some outstanding mm-hmm. contributing members to society one day, so um, they'll. they'll you know, that's what we do as parents. I agree. Now, I do have to bring up a point that someone may comment and say this. Um, It comes up when we talk about things like this, where we are wealthy people in the fire community. (laughs) We are actually quite wealthy on paper. And just because we don't have a lot of income, we qualify for some of the low income programs, which the CCB is kind of based on, you know, the lower your income, the more you get. And uh, I know this doesn't seem right. And to some people, it's not ethical. But at the same time, it's what the system is. And it's, it's there. And we're not doing anything illegal by doing this. It just that's the way it's set up. I just wanted to add that it's also um, it's it's not something you like the CCB isn't even something you really apply for. It's essentially it is technically mm-hmm. part of like your tax return. You file your taxes and and you know you, you don't really get the choice to opt out of it. I mean, I'm not saying that mm-hmm. I would because um, I you know I, I do I do appreciate yeah. it, but it's uh, yeah it, in a sense it's uh, yeah it's, it's 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 sort of an automatic payment that that's paid, and it's not something that I. I'm not advocating saying I need more CCB and 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 uh, you know, but mm-hmm. I think it's you know the program's there. So you're right. You know, we, 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 it's like it's like it's like trying to save money on your taxes. You know, we, we all do it. You know, and then and 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 we do you know make donations and we do you know volunteer times and when you know, mm-hmm. we have you know, we are still we can still be on these paths and still be generous people. Mm-hmm. Christy, I thought you brought up a great point there because. There's other programs that are income tested, not means tested. Mm-hmm. And I might be misspeaking here, but it's, it's GIS yes, and OAS. GIS. Not OAS. It's just a, but, not OAS, well, yeah, just OAS GIS. OAS is kind of, but GIS yeah. is one where it's meant for low income seniors, but people That's in the right. fire community, I, w- yeah. I don't want to say we can game the system, but if with good tax planning, you can get the GIS, even if you're a, a multi millionaire, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think it's just interesting, like these are, they're not means tested and that may change in the future, right? Mm-hmm. But the fire community is still small enough and fringe enough that, you know, they're not expecting the people that are earning 40 grand a year to not have a net worth of mm-hmm. over a million dollars, right? So I, I totally agree with both of you there. And it's, it's not like we're here advocating to try and game the system. It's just the way the system is at the moment. Those are like some fringe benefits of, and you know what? And I think maybe that's okay to have a little bit of a fringe benefit because by living on less than 40 grand a year, you're less of a consumer. You're less of a drag on our environment. Mm-hmm. There's, you're providing a lot of benefits as well. Right. So, yeah. you know, and like Rosanna said, you're, you're volunteering your time, you're improving your communities. You know, there's, there's lots of offsets, but that's an interesting one to point, bring up the next, uh, strategy, we'll call it that. Rajan has used is to do with the RESPs. Give us a little uh, overview of what you've got going yeah, on there. Sure. I, I, I didn't con- contribute to RESPs from the beginning when I, when I first had children because I, I, I was sort of took the mustachian mindset where I, I paid for all my own university myself and so did my wife. And I, I thought it taught me a lot to be responsible for my own post-secondary education. It actually where, it's actually where I learned a lot of my own financial discipline and, and a lot of tools. So I just 
didn't really see it as a priority in, in my life. I, of course, I, I want to help my children, but I think I, I'd want them to be responsible for their education as well. But then I, I just read more and more into the RESP program and, and the grants that the federal government provide to encourage us to save for our children's education. So then that sort of tipped the needle for me, I guess. That's like, okay, well, if I'm really being encouraged to, to save for them and the government's going to be providing money as well, well, then I, maybe I should contribute to take advantage of this, essentially, again, free money to pay for the children's post-secondary education. But I took a sort of a, well, I'm looking at it sort of from a, a, a different perspective where I'm taking the government, so in a nutshell, the government will match 20% of your contributions up to $2,500 per year. So essentially, if you put $2,500 into an RESP, the federal government will match it with, will match $500. So then you totally get $3,000 per year. They'll do this up to 7200 so um, $500 per year for essentially 14 years if you make those max contributions of 2500 So my strategy has been now for all three of my children, I've been maxing out these contributions every year so that I can get these $500 payments every year from the federal government. And my calculations have told me that you know, based on this strategy, by the time my children turn seventeen dollars or $18,000, just pulling in my numbers here, this account, if, if it's invested, you know, just with a, a pretty realistic 5% growth, it'll grow to approximately $80,000 by the time they're 17. And that would just be by making these contributions for 14 years in order to, to maximize the, the government portion. So I look at this $80,000 that's going to be available to them when they're, when they're 17. And then I, I think, well, what did I contribute in all this? And the number that I contributed contributed, it is only $36,000. So then even if I take out that $36,000 and pay myself back, my children, each one of my children will still have $43,000 to pay for their education. And $43,000 taken back to 20 years with a discount value. So essentially, you know, what would $43,000 in 17 years be worth today? It's still a, a pretty large sum of $31,000. So you're essentially, by taking advantage of this of this government matching program, you're essentially left with a profit of $31,000, which it, I described a lot of this in my book, but, you know, in Ontario, that would still pay for a four-year university degree based on average tuition at you know, an average university. So, in, in a nutshell, you can pay for a four-year university degree just with the grant portion of the government plus the growth that will also grow in that account without accounting for the $36,000 that, that you contributed. Essentially, this, this you know, you could leave the, the entire $80,000 in this account for your children to use for other expenses, such as, you know, residences and stuff. But the government does allow you to take that money back because those are, you know, after-tax dollars you put in. There. Mm-hmm. You, you know, there's no, there's no restriction on that money to, to take out in you know, 20 years from now. Um, so the strategy essentially entails giving your children essentially an interest-free loan uh, for 17 years um, so that you can get those uh, maximum contributions and then and then give your children a pretty large gift in, in a full education. At the same time, this could act as a forced savings for your own retirement if, if you're you know, not in the you know, early retirement journey. Yeah, and we discussed a lot of these intricacies of uh, RESP withdrawals in the two episodes we did with Carrie and Court, but it just underscores how important it is to understand these government benefits and programs that are available to us, because when you really understand the details, you can really maximize what you get out of them completely legally and completely within your own rights. But it makes such a huge difference when you can really see it uh, in that kind of detail and take advantage. Yeah, I think we see a lot that people are always asking how to calculate their FI number. Well, understanding all of these types of programs makes a big difference when you start making those calculations. Because if you can take your children's post-secondary education mm-hmm. off the off the uh, spreadsheet, then this is a game changer, right? And, and like I said, it's uh, if, you, if you take this strategy, you know, you could build it into your savings plan as well, you know, thinking that, you know, if, if you, tr- you, you, tr- you project out that in 18 years, you know, you're, you, you could even tell your children, you know, this is an account I started for you, but I do plan to take out a substantial portion out one day that I invested in, but I will help you substantially with your education. And, and you know, the, you know, it could act as a, if you have two children or three children, you know, 
we could be in a situation, my wife and I, in, in 20 years, where all three of our children are done university, graduated, we paid their entire tuition, and we're left with uh, you know six figures in savings that now we're contributing back to our own accounts. Um, so yeah, and or we can you know if we're doing very well financially at that point, way better ahead than we thought, and our children want to go to you know medical school or, or something, and then, then we just decide you know what we're gonna we weren't planning to do this. We we wanted you to be to, to be responsible for you know postgraduate studies, but uh, or graduate studies then. But then we decide, you know, whatever, we're going to pay it because we're, we're, we're well off right now. So it gives you some flexibility in the future. Yeah, well, that wraps it up nicely. Um, it, it really typifies your, your story or, or it puts your story into perspective how just being a lot more mindful with lots of little things and big things can really get you a lot of the way to fire. If you're really paying attention and optimizing and not just mindlessly spending your money without realizing where it's all going, it makes a huge difference, especially over a number of years. And I, I think that's what your book, what really stood out to me in your book is that you're just an ordinary family. You weren't, you're making good incomes, but they were not crazy incomes that, that no one can achieve. You're pretty regular people, and yet you got to fire at an extraordinarily young age with three kids. So congratulations. I mean, I think you've done well, and I'm glad you've been able to share your story. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. That's a great description. I'm, I'm, glad, I, I'm glad that that's the perception you got it, because that's, you know, that's how I see it as well. Yeah, it's not, and that's how I end my book as well, is that I don't think, uh, I don't think I, I did anything special, and like just like I tell people, I don't even think you know Mr. My Mustache is special. I, I think uh, I think he's just an average guy, and he, he'll say the same thing. He's, nothing of his, you know. I don't think he has any superpowers or anything, and just uh, did some pretty common sense things, and that's what we tried to mimic. And that's a lot of what you guys preach. You know, when you listen to your podcast, it's uh, it's just about you know the little things to average people can do. Mm-hmm. But it's also not to minimize what you have done because you and your wife worked. really hard (laughs) really really hard to get to where you are I I know in your book you mentioned how for many weekends I don't don't know how many years it was you went from Ottawa over to your um, rental properties which were what four or five hours away to work on them every weekend for a while and that's not easy especially when you've got young kids in tow yeah that was uh, (laughs) a a lot of work and uh, yeah looking back it's uh, I don't know how we did it because now it's you know, I find if because uh, we have so much free time now and, and not as much structure in our, in our lives. So, yeah, when I get one weekend that's extremely busy, I just get overwhelmed. And I used to get these weekends all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially during COVID. I'm the same. I'm, I just think back like <laughs> how crazy things used to be before COVID. Like we were booked up almost every weekend. We'd have parties or we'd go to someone's house or whatever it was. We were just busy all the time. And now we're not. <laughs> And I just think, how did we do that? <laughs> I'm like super stressed out, Chrissy, when I've got like four things yes. on the calendar for one yeah. day. I'm like, yeah. man, I've really got to budget my time today. I've got like four <laughs> different things I've got to do. Exactly. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Well, it's been uh, it's been lovely to chat with you, Rajan. And as Chrissy said, you do have a, a story that's, it, it's extraordinary, but at the same time, mm-hmm. it's achievable. And I think that's that's the interesting part, and that's why people should go out and get your book. Now, before we let you go, I'm I'm gonna bring up one thing because the Internet Retirement Police will be all over us, Chrissy, because he didn't retire; he wrote a book. <laughs> is that what we're gonna do when we retire? Yeah. Is write books? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I, you know, we're gonna let that slide because here we uh, we don't mind that because we like more Canadian content. And if you, the listener, would like to get your hands on this brand new 2021 Canadian content, you can leave us a comment on the show notes uh, about the show your thoughts, question for Rajan, and we will be doing a random draw from there. Does that sound like a plan, Chrissy? Yep, perfect. When should we do the draw? Well, uh, that depends. We'll do it uh, one month after the show airs. How's that? Okay. Yeah. We'll give them 30 days. Okay. Unless it's a month with 31. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right on. 
anyway, uh, signing off. Thanks again for joining us, Rajon. And before we let you go, can you please just let our listeners where, know where they can find you? You do have a blog. I know the best part about this community is people like to reach out and all the content creators love to engage with everybody else. So just let us know before you go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we have a blog. At, it's called mindfulfamily.ca. So just mindfulfamily.ca. Yeah, just you can uh, reach out there. There's a contact page with my I list my email address. There's also a form to, 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 to send a message, but I'll respond to any message, any questions anybody has. I'm always, uh, I received some questions last week and some pretty detailed questions. And really, I, I actually really enjoy answering questions. So send them along. I really don't mind answering them. And I'll try to uh, check out if there's any questions on the comments uh, to, to, to this episode as well to, to answer if anybody has any, any there. Yeah, we'll definitely let you know about that. I've got one last question before we let you go. I saw there's some riverfront property in Sturgeon Falls for 100 grand. What do you think? Should I be investing? Are you look after that for me over there? I just, I, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't like buying any property right now. Just, I find everything's overvalued. But, um, that's just my... It, it's, it's bare land. Yeah, it's bare well, land. I, I'll buy the bare land. You yeah, just got to okay. help me develop <laughs> That's great. I... I want to start my own uh, fire community here in Sturgeon. So yes, I'll absolutely help you. <laughs> <laughs> a fire commune. <laughs> Chrissy and I would absolutely move there, but you have a little oh, too much winter for us. You're, you're <laughs> absolutely right. We're actually planning to come to the West Coast this summer if everything opens up because we've been planning a, a trip down there for, for years and we're hoping to finally do it. And a lot of people tell us once we get there, we're never going to want to come back because you're right. We, the winters are... are insane here and i would love to live on victoria island and not have to shovel snow at any point during the year so <laughs> yeah well hopefully we are allowed to travel and when you do do that and this is a note to the listeners too is if you want well again fingers crossed everybody's allowed to do it safely is reach out to the place you're going because uh i run a group on vancouver Island. we'd love to do a meetup chrissy you've done meetups over mm -hmm. in vancouver you know if you're traveling and you want to meet other like-minded people just shout out there's either like a choose fi local for that or or hit us up on the podcast and we'll put you in touch with people and and when we're allowed it's it's fantastic to meet up with like-minded folks right on what a Cheers. show mm -hmm. thank yeah, you rajon all right we'll catch everybody in the next time explore for canada Thanks for listening. If you've been getting value from our content, please support us in the following ways. Leave us a review and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. Tell your friends and family about us or use our referral links at explorifycanada.ca forward slash recommendations. All of our show notes can be found at explorifycanada.ca. You can also find us on our other websites, figarage.ca or eatsleepbreathefy.com. Our show is edited and mixed by Max Desmarais at Fix Audio. That's F-I-X-A-U-D dot I-O. Episode transcripts were created in otter.ai.